You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. But then we also realize that all of us are out there talking about our neurodiversities because uh, if we had been diagnosed a little bit earlier, we might have known things and understood things better and it might have helped us. This is what we were already doing. We were spreading awareness with each of our projects. And then we realized that we're working together. We're all uh, neurodivergent. And why don't we just uh, make this uh, collective, an official entity that would be going out there and would be spreading awareness and making sure that people know and making sure that other neurodivergent people are taken care of so that they can speak through us. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, brought to you by Sound Talent Media and Evergreen Podcasts, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing a craft beer. I hope you've been having a killer week. I most certainly have been. Now, on today's Artist Spotlight, I am stoked to be showcasing Defy the Curse. Get ready, everyone. This is Ideolon of the Blind. It was a secret which even torture could not extract. Yeah. 
was brutal. Defy the Curse is a crust-infested, blistering, bone-crunching death metal band from the Lowlands. Idealon of the Blind is taken from their album Horrors of Human Sacrifice, which dropped back in January via Hammerheart Records. I have put the link to their band camp in the description of this podcast. If you enjoyed Defy the Curse, go support them. Go check them out. Go check out their band camp page. Massive cheers to Defy the Curse for being a part of today's artist spotlight now before we jump into today's episode i'd just like to ask you to follow the vox and hops metal podcast on the podcast platform of your choice but more than that i would love for you to tell a friend about the podcast there's someone in your life that just happens to also like hip-hop music and extreme metal well you should let them know that the vox and hops metal podcast exists you can tell them that there are over 400 episodes where i sit down with some of the world's best metal musicians that have maybe a tendency of enjoying rap too where we talk all about their lives and music and, of course, craft beer. If you would encourage one of your rap and metal-loving friends to become a brand-new Vox and Hops head, that would be something that I would truly appreciate. Now, today's episode is a special one. It is with the Neurodivergent crew. Get ready, everyone. This is Vox and Hops episode number 407, featuring a killer conversation with Dreadnought, No Tricks, and FMA plus 12 Gauge. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today, I'm very, very stoked to be joined by a group of wonderful people, the Neurodivergent Crew, uh, based out of the UK. Uh, joining us today are three amazing groups. We got Dreadnought, we got No Tricks, and we got the father and son rap duo of FMA and 12 Gauge. Everyone, how are you doing? Yeah, we're doing good. I, well, I just spoke for everyone. I'm doing good. <laughs> yeah, I think it's mutually exclusive. Good. Yeah, we're all good. Yeah. <laughs> Happy to be here. Chilling, mum. I'm very, very stoked to have you all here. I was very, very stoked when FMA reached out to me uh, to to come onto the podcast. I get a lot of messages like this, and I don't typically make it happen. But you guys are special. Um, neurodivergent crew is something that I've never seen before. Uh, a group of neurodiverse artists that have grown something together that have joined together to promote their music. I think it's amazing. I think it's so, so cool. People that listen to the podcast might know I have a background working in early childhood education and my childcare center that I work in is uh, basically renowned for working with neurodiverse children. We, we work with them very frequently. So I'll, this definitely struck home when I got the, the message from uh, FMA asking to come on to the podcast, and I was definitely, definitely interested in doing it. So let's go. Let's have a chat. Let's start with a very simple question of how has 2023 been so far? A very easy, ice-breaking question. Let's start with you, Dreadnought. How, how has 2023 been so far? Yeah, man, it's been a, been a really good start, to be honest. Uh, dropped my first like official single. So after years and years of sitting on music and just producing... It's, uh, it's off to a banging start, to be honest, man. That's amazing. The father and son duo, FMA and 12 Gauge. How has 2023 been treating you so far? Yeah, it's been very good, but it's been very, very busy and extremely hard work. Uh, yeah, that's the short answer. Callum, how's your, how's your 2023 going? Um, it's, been, it's been really good, really productive, but very busy and very stressful. Exactly like my dad. <laughs> it's uh yeah yeah you know when when we do stuff when we're when we're busy and hustling and doing things it's stressful, but that stress fuels us to do better things. At least that's how I approach stress. But th there are sleepless nights 
when the the anxiety monster crawls up my back. Uh, no tricks. Uh, how has 2023 been for you so far? Absolutely thrilling. Um, we all together uh, released our first collab, Amazing. which has been a massive hit so far. It's already uh, hit uh, 20,000 streams so far in the first uh, uh, three weeks, four weeks that has been on. Uh, and it's already uh, been accepted onto very, very big uh, playlists in the genre. Nice. Um, and so it's it's such a it's a, such an amazing reception. And also, as we're rolling forward with our uh, neurodivergent project, uh, uh, the reception has been so warm and so welcoming that um, we just. You know, we're thrilled to go on with this. It's uh, it's just amazing. Isn't it fun when, like, you start something and then it works? Because a lot of the times it doesn't. <laughs> so so it's nice when it does work sometimes. It's been building up to here, and this is the time. So <laughs> we're really thrilled. Very, very cool. Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with typically my metal friends, uh, talking about their lives and music and uh, enjoying craft beer. Uh, I have a killer beer here that I'm going to share virtually today. I'm very curious as to what you guys will be drinking today. I know that not all of you partake in alcohol, and that's completely cool, but I do know that Dreadnought has a brew. So so what, what beer do you have on your side there, Dreadnought, that we're going to be sharing virtually? I currently have a very nice Punk IPA. Oh, it's censoring it on the camera, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yes. You know? Brew dog. Yes. It's a staple. Staple when I go through the UK. Definitely. It's, it's a default, but it's a good choice. <laughs> oh, hell yes. Yeah. I totally, totally have spent many, many, many nights on tour, maybe an off day typically or before a show mm-hmm. at a brew dog location in, in Glasgow, notably, and in London. There was actually open one right behind, I don't know if it's still open, but it was open uh, back in 2019, right behind uh, the underground in Camden in London. Oh, okay. And I was st- stoked to stumble upon that before my gig back in 2019. Um, no what, what what are you going to be drinking? I've been blessed by Serge Tankian to drink kombucha till the rest of my days. The kombucha mushroom people. That, that's me. So, yeah, uh, and it says uh, swag here. So, yeah, I'm swag. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, how about you, uh, F- FMA, uh, the father-son duo? What are you guys drinking today? I'm drinking kombucha as well. It's well addictive. Like, uh, I'm a recovering alcoholic, and this stuff is just like, whoa. It's It's like, it's not like drinking beer, but it's like, uh, I remember in one of your podcasts, you said something about the hops. The hops is what gives you the nice feeling. And like that made me, when I drinking this, I think that's what's going on. I think it reminds me, it's that feeling. It's like, oh, uh, that's why it reminds me of beer. But it's not like if you drink things which remind you of beer, sometimes that can give you a craving for beer. This doesn't do that. This is just like, oh, this is a really nice drink that relaxes me. Because like, I'm sorry, I'm going off on a tangent. But the worst thing, the worst thing about being a recovering alcoholic is like there's a moment in time when you drink and it's like that's a moment in time when you drink. And it's like when summer hits and everyone's out in the beer gardens drinking, that's when it really becomes a struggle for me because I'd like that nice feeling just in my belly. And it's like kind of like that's what kombucha does. It's a really, really nice drink. I didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I do. 
Oh hell yes, and it's 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 a craft in itself. It's 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 an art form just as close as craft beer. Uh, the carbonation, the sugars, um, praise the mushrooms. It's just uh, the, yeah. the the Scooby. It's got a lot of Scooby. So goddamn cool. It's so cool. It's 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 a little bit nasty, but but really fucking cool. Uh, how about you, uh, Twelve Gauge? What are you drinking today? Um, I'm I'm drinking a lot right now. I've got a black coffee. Um, I also have a Energize Innocent Smoothie and a Stella Artois beer. I, I literally had one of those waiting at the airport when I was in Winnipeg last Sunday morning while editing an episode of Brutal Winnipeg. Uh, and it was nice. It was a beer for uh, yeah, it was, like You can't fault a good Stella every now and then. But that, that is a lot of liquid. So so you're, you're going to have to pee 12 gauge. Just just. <laughs> I will, but I will hold it the entire podcast. That's okay. It's a, I, I've seen horrible things. Just turn off your mic when you go. But <laughs> I am going to be drinking a beer. I'm drinking. Uh, I, it's one of my last ones. Was makes me sort of sad. I have a few left. This is a collab that came out for the fourth anniversary of Vox and Hops, uh, called Ossuary, a Killer Can Art by Philip Ivanovic. Uh, Sankian Baron made this beer. Uh, for the fourth anniversary of the podcast back in October. It was uh, brewed with Phantasm, which is a extract of grape must from New Zealand. And um, they when they use that, they, ha- they get to use less hops when they make the beer. So it's like a powder. It makes a very whiny approach to an IPA. So it's an IPA with Phantasm. I'm going to crack this, and um, I would love to hear about your first beers that you guys ever drank. We'll go in the same order. Dreadnought. Do you remember the first beer they ever drank? I'm pretty sure it was something like really crappy and standard, like a, a Carlsberg or maybe even like a really cheap cider from like the local supermarket. It was uh, it was not the classiest choice, but we move, <laughs> we learn. <laughs> you, we, we all got to start s- somewhere, you know, which is why I always get like upset, like when people would giving shit to like five finger death punch as a like a gateway metal band there's, there's no problem with with your firsts of anything yeah yeah yeah, yeah. true true That's you gotta jump point. in the pool to get wet right uh no tricks um what would be your i don't know if you've ever drank have you ever drank or was it always the mushroom people i have been straight edge since birth i have with with my mental condition I'm, i have very very strong addiction issues but I've been very, very lucky uh, that when I was a teenager, I was a fan of bands that promoted Straight Edge. And they basically were the ones that saved me uh, because I, I still suffer from addiction issues. I still have those in day-to-day life. But at least I don't have to save myself from uh, alcohol or smoking uh, or drugs. And... Uh, this is one of the things that I have as a mission, as uh, as a musician. I want to give it up back. So straight edge here. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And it's interesting that you, you came into it uh, later than the, the big movement um, that was happening in the punk scene. You know, there was like a big punk um Black Flag, just the band that comes to mind. I don't even know if that's the right name. I hope that's the right name. Uh, as um, like a flag bearing for the straight edge movement. So, so it's interesting for you to have gotten into it so much later than that. So, so And good for you to, to want to continue pushing that. And there definitely, definitely is the more that I speak to artists and the more artists that I see that are successful now. A lot of them don't drink anymore. So it's, it's very interesting to see the, the tides turning on the fallacy and illusion that being successful means you have to be a mess 
<laughs> FMA. Um, tell us your story. Your first beer, and then you can you can get into the whole um, last beer. Uh, <laughs> last beer as well <laughs> if, if that's something you feel like talking about uh, yeah no i'm happy talking about absolutely anything so don't worry about that um i forced i i caught my mum always gave me like bits of wine and stuff at christmas and be like oh here you go have a bit of wine but the first time i properly ever got drunk i think i was either 13 or 14 and it was like one of the best experiences of my life and so it just didn't stop after that point so yeah that was it uh but it wasn't it wasn't like beer. It was just loads of... I don't know what it was. I was so drunk, I blacked out. All I remember is throwing up carrot bits in the toilet. And, yeah, that was amazing. Um, but, yeah, no, it was... Yeah, no, it was It was a good experience. I really enjoyed it. Because, uh, like, with my autism as well, I didn't realise that I was having difficulty talking to people and all that just disappeared. All the sensory input issues and everything just disappeared and it felt like when I was drunk when i had alcohol that's how a normal person should feel that's how i should feel all the time because life was manageable if that makes sense because it's like sobriety hurts if that also makes sense like because of the bright lights and the talking and all sorts of things so that's the way i look at it so i have i'm like no tricks i have i get addicted to anything unfortunately unlike no tricks i did get addicted to everything that, that is it's it's tough to 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 you go through that and then you have this like an awakening this is what normal typical people would feel like when you're drunk and then that becomes like an escape to but then it gets gets out of control because alcohol is a dirty slippery slope yeah it just gets crazy like my i get obsessed like really really obsessed with things um as soon as something that i love gets into my head there's no getting it out ever and if that's a drug or like alcohol that's well dangerous because it becomes your whole life and everything that you think about in every waking moment is thinking about the next moment to get messed up and just like escape. Oh, and the worst, oh, I'm sorry, I'm going, I'm well going off on a tangent, but like the worst thing was about getting drunk, like about blacking out is the guilt that comes with blacking out. And the only way to escape that guilt is by once again, blacking out. And it was just an endless cycle and it was just, yeah, it was just crazy. I could talk about more about it, but I'll, I'll go on. I'll just no, stop no, for now. No, there's no, there's no time limit. So, so, and blacking out is something that's interesting. And if I don't know if anyone knows this, but when you black out, basically what happens is your body's still alive and moving, and you are still there. It's just your brain is not saving those short-term memories. So when you wake up and you don't remember what happened the night before, it's because your brain chose not to record those. It's basically like you were streaming. And not recording what was happening. Yeah. Which is super scary. Yeah. Yeah, it's terrifying. And what's worse is the guilt, uh, like the guilt, but also the people who enjoy the guilt. And like, oh, you you did something last night. And I'm like, what? What did I do? And be like, I'm not, no, you don't need to know. And they'd keep that information from me. And it caused very... That's horrible. It's such a strange feeling is that to know that everyone knows what you did, but no one's telling you what you've done. Those are um, not good yeah. friends. Fuck those people. Yeah, no, I did. Uh, not literally fuck them, but yeah, they've gone. Um, yeah, no, yeah, no, it's just like, why would you do that? And I'm so happy that it didn't happen now, because if I'd, I was young now with all the phones and cameras around, oh I don't God, think yeah. I'd ever get better. Oh, I yeah. think I'd just drink myself to death and just because I would not want those memories. Because the memories that I have, and I don't have, I've got a lot, but I don't have the bad ones. The ones where I blacked out. If that stuff was out for people to just laugh at and just show around, that would be terrifying. I agree. And I'm thankful that I went through high school with no smartphones existing because same exact, exact reason. I've done stupid things that 
I don't want people to see. <laughs> 12 gauge. Do you remember your first beer, 12 gauge? Um, I, I remember my first drink. Um, this might be another story. Well, a lot like FMAs, not, not, not similar. It, it kind of ties into the whole FMA 12 gauge thing that he, he went through all of the issues that I could have had. And I've just been an extremely lucky person. And the first time I ever had a drink was when um, me and my mum and my little brother used to go on holiday down to Cornwall, which is a place in England, and it's by the sea. And, you know, it's like little villages and there's like there's like major cities, but there's tons of little villages. And we used to camp out in this woman's farm who owned a shotgun and kept telling people she owned a shotgun. She was lovely, but she Sounds owned a shotgun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Honestly, she was she was one of those like farmers who'd like lift hay bales in like the dead of winter and she was like seventy and you'd just see her out there and it'd be like, Yeah, I'm carrying this hay bale and like I was terrified of her. But <laughs> um, I went back there when um yeah, we, we went on holiday when I was nine down to this like field and there was this just this van there and I remember it, it was like this camper van and there was an eighteen year old guy, like eighteen plus staying in that like camper van all by himself and he went down to cornwall on his own to celebrate his like 18th or 21st birthday so immediate red flags if you're not oh, nine. yeah creepy um, as hell yeah god yeah so anyway he like pretty much um like i'd made friends with some people from like this like little camping thing and like some of them were like 14 to 16 i think the elder the eldest person in the group was like 16 but i was like the little nine-year-old thinking i was cool hanging out with bigger kids and then he's like oh yeah i'm, I'm, I'm gonna go get drinks for you da, 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 da. so he goes and he buys cider that's what i remember and he gives me a bottle of cider and i'm like nine and if anyone who's listening has ever seen cornwall it's just sheer cliff faces pretty much you just walk down like a cliff face and then you're in a bit you're like on a beach so he's given me like a this bottle of cider and i'm like giddy i'm like nine and i'm like i'm an adult this is great i'm gonna go get drunk Woo! and i'm walking down this like cliff face and like looking back on it i'm like hey that was stupid so dangerous. You know? <laughs> oh god yeah <laughs> So we, we get to like this like little enclosed beach and there's this pond there. And then he starts like being like, oh, yeah, we, we've had a drink. Why don't we do dares and stuff like that? That's what I remember. And he dared me to walk through a pond. And me being nine, also being drunk for the first time because I downed the cider because, you know, you're a kid. And after the first sip, you're like, I'm going to get caught. <laughs> and he's like proper necked it. So I'm I'm drunk at nine in this beach in Cornwall and there's this pond and he dares me to walk through this pond. So me being me, I'm like, yeah, I'm walking through this pond. And I like stride into this pond and he keeps telling me to go to the left and keep going to the left. And I eventually, I just get out of the pond and I'm like there, I walk through the pond, ha, we go back to the campsite and it's all fine. The thing that sticks in my head is when I tell like the next day, when I tell people I walked through that pond, is there was apparently a sinkhole in the middle of that pond that went directly out into the ocean. Jesus. And it was right in the center. And this guy who had been back, like obviously had been down there a fair few times, was just kept telling me to go like further towards the middle of this pond. 
And it's like, it's one of those memories where at the time I was like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> and yeah, now it's fun. like the more, yeah, yeah. Like the, the more I look back on it, I'm like, Jesus Christ. But yeah, that was the first time I had a drink and I was like drunk, but it, but it was cider and it tasted lovely. <laughs> I feel, feel bad now to be honest like the worst that happened in my story was someone pissed in a plant pot like, <laughs> <laughs> I could have done that too <laughs> I don't know damn that's that's heavy and uh, that, that guy in the camper is a weirdo if he's oh, out God, there yeah. I hope he's that's not because <laughs> that's that's fucked up shit I don't like that <laughs> fuck that's yeah. heavy yeah nice work Callum good work no it's good bye I'm doing the podcast now <laughs> no, no, we got this we got this the soundtracks of our youth do you remember um what your parents or guardians listened to when you were growing up when they were in control of the radio not you what did your parents or guardians listen to well we'll go back to dreadnought for this one uh okay yeah it's quite diverse it was different actually my dad was uh into like not like heavy heavy but he liked like stuff like muse uh 30 seconds to mars he also liked a lot of indie stuff like british indie pop as well bands like keen and kaiser chiefs stuff like that uh, and then my mum was massively into just like full-on 80s like anything like 80s greatest hits it was basically that all the time yeah it was a bit diverse actually i, I didn't really get control of my music till a lot later on <laughs> mm. what, what, what would be that that turning point when when you got control what what spurred that uh, weirdly it was what happened my uncle um my uncle paul he gave me his old xbox and on it there was like four cds on the actual album uh, actual albums on the xbox sorry uh and one of them was linkin park hybrid theory uh, one was Green Day, American Idiot. Uh, and I can't remember what the other two were because I didn't even listen to them. I just listened to them <laughs> two albums constantly. <laughs> and that was the turning point. Then I eventually, my nan got a computer. And when YouTube started, uh, it was it was a spiral of me literally going there and spending hours just on the computer clicking through tracks. It was a slippery, slippery road. <laughs> yeah, which led to a cool, very cool place, the Neurodivergent Crew, and I like that very much. How about No Tricks? Did you remember the soundtrack of your youth? What did your parents or guardians listen to? Oh, I was very lucky that my parents only listened to uh, Western music. I'm originally from Russia, and uh, I basically never had much exposure uh, to uh, the uh, pop culture of Russia, which is, I would say, quite subpar. <laughs> Although it did g give me a lot of, you know, just uh, ability to v look at things from outside, uh, like on, on the Western culture and, and the Western uh, music. Uh, but still, I was more exposed to um, mostly American 80s music, uh, First and foremost, Michael Jackson. I do consider him both emo and goth because the, 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 the tracks that I loved the most, uh, like Dirty Diana. Hell yes. That's my favorite Michael Jackson song, hands down. Yeah, exactly. Th those are uh, like really made me more sensitive towards the lyrics, towards the uh, more, I don't know, just... Um, sad sad music so this is this is basically the music that I, i'm mostly uh leaning towards when when i listen uh to something um but um yeah when i uh took over the control um i also discovered lincoln park first uh then um there was a magazine uh where it was written 
soul-pairing vocals of Jonathan Davis. And that's, after this phrase, my life was never the same. <laughs> so corn, <laughs> it was corn, then Slipknot, and yeah, and here am I. Hell yes, I'm, I'm totally a new metal child. I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, I sing for a death metal band, but I'm totally a new metal child, and I still love new metal to this day. High I'm very happy. for me. Hi, hi, I'm very, very happy of the, the new metal resurgence that's happening. I think it's exciting. And uh, Jonathan Davis to Korn, I covered uh, One Step Closer to the Edge with a band a long time ago. I, I find very, very interesting. Uh, the new metal resurgence is actually also going on in that very genre where, well, I, I can't say for FMA plus 12 gauge because they are unique. But uh, me and Dreadnought, I, I think I, I can, I can uh, truly say that we are um, leaning towards uh, scream rap slash uh, trap metal thing. And there, everyone is influenced by uh, new metal and primarily uh, Slipknot and Korn. Like oh, yes. everyone. Uh, so so we are, we're basically taking part in this too, <laughs> bringing, bringing that, that heritage um, in, into some, some new... Um, Kind of form. I just had a chat with um, Orthodox, and Adam Easterling was was talking about, and they're definitely a new metal inspired band. How it's all the kids, the people that were growing up in the late '90s, early 2000s, that are all now touring the world and creating music. So obviously, you're going to lean and dig into your influences. So it's, it makes sense. It's, I think it's, I think it's awesome. But there's so many, so many great new metal bands that are happening now and I think it's awesome and, and across all genres which is, is extremely exciting uh, FMA take us back to, to the soundtrack of your youth uh, well there's so much because my parents listened to absolutely all sorts like uh, I'd listen to War of the Worlds my mum would regularly play that she'd regularly play Number of a Beast Iron Maiden uh, Alice Cooper my dad was a massive fan of so School's Out was one of my first favourite songs because I hated oh, school yeah. I've always hated school um yeah, and then I got into Guns N' Roses, like, from there. And, like, my first ever album that I owned was the band version of Appetite for Destruction that my dad got me when I was, like, nine. Amazing. <laughs> the, 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 yeah, the terrible cover that uh, has been banned now from uh, mainstream use. Uh, so yeah, So, yeah, so... But, um, it's probably worth my sister's, a lot now, but... <laughs> yeah, I know my mum's got it somewhere, but I don't talk to her anymore, so I've probably got no chance of getting that back. Um, but yeah, no, all sorts, like genuinely all sorts. You should listen to Christy Berg as well. Like Christy Berg, I don't know if oh, you've ever heard of him. Yes, of course. Yeah, Lady in like red. Some of, come on. Lady yeah, in but, red. But he wrote like amazing folk songs, which were stories. And it's like, and there was a band called Marillion that my dad loved and they really, Marillion. really influenced. Yes. Oh, you know, with Fish, like the original singer. Oh, that I didn't know, but I do know Merlin, and I do I like prog rock, so I, I definitely oh, know Merlin. Oh, right, Merlin. cool. Because, yeah. like, yeah, they changed singers, like, okay. about five albums in. And uh, But the first singer, he was such a poet. He was a real poet, and, like, he triggered a love of writing and words. Because everything that I'd heard was just on the nose, love songs in the charts and stuff. It was like, yeah, I love you, you love me, the skies are blue, and so's the sea. Or something like that. I brought, <laughs> you can have that. Everyone can have that. Um, but then I heard Marillion and the guy, Fish, he had such a poetic way of looking at the world and he used words in such an interesting way that I'd never, ever heard them before. Like, we are jigsaw pieces aligned on the periphery edge. And just like that, just that sentence on its own is like, whoa, no one writes anything like that. And so I'd listen to them and they'd like, they'd write seven minute songs that never had a chorus and 
so they have influenced me and Callum like more than I can say. But yeah, I was really lucky that my parents loved so much different music because uh, I had access to all sorts. That's super sick, super sick. And this is a first now that I'm, I'm doing this and it just sort of happened that I fell it this way. Now, this is interesting because because 12 Gauge grew up listening to your music, which is amazing. So, so, so tell me about the soundtrack of your youth, 12 Gauge. It's the first time I've actually had a father-son duo, so this is cool. <laughs> yeah, so I had my mum's side of music, which was really cool, actually. What my mum would do, and I still think it's, like, adorable and lovely, is that she'd hear a song on the radio, and then she'd buy the entire album just to listen to that one song. The music industry needs more people like your mom, please. <laughs> God, yeah. But, like, yeah, so, like, she had, like, an entire, like, shelf just filled with CDs. So it was everything from, like, Marilyn Manson, Antichrist Superstar, because she loved beautiful people. So good. And, and like, she'd just listen to beautiful people. And then she had, like, Wu-Tang Clan Greatest Hits because she loved Gravel Pit. And it, it'd go from there to, like, Kate Bush and Tori Amos and then to, like, Timberland, like, Shock Value and, like, stuff like that. So, like, my mum was, like, all over the place. But the two things that I remember my dad playing, and they've, like, influenced me, like, more than anything, like, especially when I was a kid, was Slipknot's, like, the self-titled Slipknot album. And then Onyx and those two things completely like at that time and i think still changed my mindset to music where it was like yeah everything's angry i just want angry things <laughs> and then like i remember my mum saying that when i got control of the music um because i became very centered on rap that um she when whenever i go to high school she would purposefully just put on piano music just trying to counterbalance all the, oh, all, yeah. all the vulgarity yeah. in your in your earphones oh, God, yeah. <laughs> well it's like one one thing which she said was i never wanted to discourage you because i started writing like the second that rap clicked in my head and that was when i started writing raps and stuff like that and she never wanted to discourage it but she also was very aware that there was very angry rappers shouting about robbing people 24 7 whenever she was in the front room just trying to watch something and she'd hear it blast through the wall and then she had to start buying like classical orchestral things to combat it <laughs> so whenever <laughs> i'd leave she'd, she'd immediately be like okay now it's time for like i don't know piano hits to relax the soul <laughs> and stuff like that um yeah but yeah, that was kind of my music. It was never, I think the thing which I have was nothing was discouraged, which was really lovely from like both parents, like my dad and my mum. It was like anything my dad loved, I instantly loved like Shizit. Like the second that he played like Gak Bitch, I was like, oh my God. Yeah, the Shizit are a really, really underground band. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. No, I'm I'm horribly unversed in the world of anything not rock or metal. I, I'll be oh, right. well. Uh, they were they were they were like it was techno metal, and it, like the first time I heard them, I was like blown away, and that's really influenced me and Callum now. Like that was years and years ago. Uh, they only did like one album or whatever, and there's barely any footage of them. But like this song is just immense. It's like the energy within it is just insane. It's just like Slipknot's first album. That energy. Sorry, Callum, I interrupted you. It's okay. I love it. I, I, I love, I love the, the, that all of it, everyone's journeys are different, 
But it's all brought you together for the neurodivergent crew. Let's jump straight into that. Um, A heavier subject, and feel free if I'm ever too much, um, being neurodiverse, at what point of your lives did you guys realize that you were neurodiverse? What is your story? We'll start with Dreadnought on that, please. I think, like, to be honest, I think my friends kind of realized before I realized. Uh, I think people, like, a lot of people made, like, jokes and stuff. They were just like, oh, ADHD boy. And, like, it, it was it was jokes and it was funny and stuff. And I kind of went along with it. And then I started thinking about it more. I was like, actually, I don't think it is a joke. And I started looking into it and doing, like, basic research. And I was like, oh, wait, this isn't, like, you know, symptoms, so to speak. It's like, this is a checklist for me. <laughs> and it was all just tick, 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 tick. Uh, so it was only, like... A, just over a year ago now that I actually had my diagnosis. Um, and I actually had another one fairly recently, again, where they checked up at the uh, year mark. Um, so it was only fairly recently I got it, uh, the diagnosis. And once I actually found out, it didn't really change anything, so to speak. It was more just like the understanding of what it is and how it affects me and who I am. Um, so it was never necessarily a problem in my life as such but there were things which didn't really make sense to me uh sometimes like i'd make myself feel bad over things such like it, it sounds like it's just an excuse for like being lazy sometimes but like simple house chores which i just couldn't build motivation for and it wasn't a matter of me being like oh, i'd rather play video games or something like that it's like I genuinely in my mind i couldn't build myself to do it but then like the next day I could spend 10 hours straight in front of my laptop, just producing like five different beats. And it was like this spontaneity between it all. And it was, uh, it was very chaotic. So I, I was like, okay, I guess I should get to the bottom of this. Cause this makes perfect sense. If this is the reason why I'm like this. Uh, and there was a debate going through it of whether to take medication or not. I ultimately decided not to, um, because I felt the diagnosis and understanding was enough to be honest. I mean, I could be wrong down the line. Who's to say I might end up taking medication if, it, if it's a positive effect. But right now, I think like the understanding is more than enough for me. And it was, I don't know, it was, it was just a strange one. It was, it was, it, it was odd and it was never really something that I considered. And then when I, when I did find out it all kind of clicked and made sense. I, I don't know what word I'm looking for specifically there, but yeah. It's almost <laughs> like a, a validation that, that you. Yeah. 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 That I, that I wasn't. You're not, you're not, you're not broken. It's, it's no yeah 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 exactly because uh, you know like don't get me wrong like at the, before the diagnosis before i like actually really even considered it there was times where i'd like fall into heavy depressions over this stuff i'd feel like so guilty and like yeah. why it wasn't can't i why time. can't i do this why can't yeah yeah th- th- there was a lot going on in my life at that time as it was so i think just having that layer on top and not being able to motivate myself to do things that i loved sometimes and then other times having all the motivation in the world but not when i needed it <laughs> It was uh, or for the <laughs> right the right tasks, let's say. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. Well, thank thank you for sharing about that. It's 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 not an easy thing, and it's it's thrown around so much that terminology of ADHD. It's just crazy how often, even at my work, it's very hard to diagnose young children <laughs> with ADHD. It comes much later, but there's been kids that have come through the center, and we're like, I don't know, but. Something yeah. about that makes me think maybe, but it gets thrown around so, so much. It's, it's, yeah. I guess so it's th- tough to pinpoint in younger kids as well, isn't it? You know, exactly. having like such a, being so spontaneous as they are to begin with, and you know, ADHD is not. Yeah. Yeah. No, I understand that. Yeah. Well, th- thank you for, for, and good for you for, for getting the diagnosis and, and 
um, now for the past year you've had it, now you can set about your life building resources for yourself. Oh man, it's been so much better just be, being able to organize my life and being able to like not be so hard on myself about things. And also it's weirdly opened up a lot more paths and I've been, I've learned a lot more self-discipline in areas that I otherwise maybe wouldn't have learned. And I probably would have been a lot more chaotic than I currently am. So. And you're like build systems for yourself or you must be in the process yeah. of building systems for yourself to make these hard things that seemed impossible before because it's just micromanagement the, is exactly is the biggest key. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. It's amazing. I mean, good, good for you, and, and keep at it. It's a lifelong thing, obviously. Thank you, man. And um, it's good. And if anyone's listening, there's, there's, there. Then it's you know you, those boxes are checking for you as well. You, you, you might have to go and look into some stuff there. A um, little bit of research goes a long way. Really <laughs> Absolutely. <does. laughs> Metrics, um, talk to us about your neurodiverse path, please. Uh, well, it's uh, a difficult story because uh, there's uh, a lot of inputs and a lot of factors. Um, but basically, I, I have dissociative identity disorder, which uh, is uh, basically the term... Ter- term for uh, split mind, so to say. Um, I have two personalities uh, inhabiting my body. And I, uh, it, th- that's uh, what happened to me uh, as a result of a traumatic experience uh, in my adolescent ages. And um, I was not diagnosed until two years ago. But I did realize that something was happening there, and I kind of felt it when I when I was a, back as a teenager. I was already drawing pictures of myself, uh, uh, trying to explain how it could happen that I can feel that there's uh, more than one person in my head. But um, yeah, I got diagnosed uh, two years ago. Um, then I followed up with another doctor to diagnose me again, just to make sure that uh, it's not, not a misdiagnosis. I don't know why, but like still just to make sure it's, it's a very rare condition, uh, which is why sometimes it's, um, and, and it's, and it's a very interesting uh, and very, um, so to say, hard to believe one. So, which is why, which is why I, I needed to go through another diagnostic session. But um, um, basically, after a tra- traumatic experience, after that traumatic event, uh, my mind uh, created a special part of my brain where it kept uh, certain memories and certain experiences and certain emotions. Um, one of the reasons for that was that I, uh, lived in a family where I was not really allowed to display emotions. And as a result of that, uh, I was just hiding everything in a separate container. And, uh, the thing is that, uh, as, as I learned later with research and, and reading all about this, uh, Everyone sort of has uh, their dark personality, the, the one that they might like also uh, hide their dark stuff in, but it doesn't become dominant. Uh, so it might still be there, but it's not a, a separate person. Whereas with me, it became a, ser- a separate person because I was not allowed to access that. 
I was like, most of the time I was only allowed to be this person, the convenient one that uh, needs to be like this and not like that. And so with time, um, it became harder and harder to control and the dark personality with me was just growing and, and becoming uh, very, very hard to ignore. And uh, well, at a certain point in life, uh, there started, be be well, we could speak throughout this whole time with each other. We can communicate, uh, but um, only basically a bit more than, like in 2020, uh, I first took over and I'm the dark side, so. <laughs> This is the story. So, so the dark side is in control now because, but you, you, you've, these are hard questions. I'm tell me if it's too much, but you, you've escaped everything that happened basically and got yourself out of that horrible situation. Uh, yeah, no, yes, yes. It was a one, one time experience. It was the death of my father. I was just oh God, not allowed yeah. to, to, to survive through, like to, to live to, through to, all the emotions. To grieve. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like suppressed, but um, no, I, I'm I'm just simplifying it. Obviously, with with dark and bright, it's just like no, no, it's yeah. easier to understand that. Obviously, we are both very multifaceted individuals, very multifaceted, and it's and it's crazy when people uh, know about us. There there are people who know her and kind of uh, met me in real life, and they're like. What? What happened? Who are you? Yeah. Uh, who are you? No, like literally, I I, wow. I I do show people my pictures from her pictures from time to time, just like people who I can trust. Um, and they're like, "Is that you? Can can that be true?" Uh, but the, the funniest story that I uh, always tell everyone: I have two passports. Uh, the one from uh for for traveling. Um. The one, uh, so in, in uh, Russian citizens are allowed to have two passports for traveling at the, at the same time. So one was uh, created when she was in charge and one was created when I was in charge. And there are two different people on the, on the ID picture. And what's more, if I try to go through customs with her picture, they don't let me. They literally, they go through every picture, every visa, everything. Like they're asking me to provide proof that this is my passport. There's sometimes another, like they, they, they uh, call for another person to check whether this is actually the same person. So it's even, it, it's, the changes are even physical. I, I have, well, others, and I'm not, I'm, I'm definitely not educated enough in this at all. But we see it in a lot of Hollywood movies to say that people carry themselves differently. They, they stand differently. And I would, I would, I would hope, and I, and once again, I'm totally not educated enough in this, that, that they would have done their research that that is actually true. That, that you see walk differently. People have different walks sometimes. I, I, and correct me if I'm being too I, much. I actually found out that, uh, apparently DID is has the least number of misdiagnosed cases. Really? So, okay. yeah. So basically it's uh, easy to prove that it's not the case somehow for doctors. So basically, uh, I, I, I do think that, yeah, they, they did their, their checks. But yeah, I, I've heard quite a lot that, that the changes are physical. It's, it's pretty easy to understand because the brain 
uh, actually does um, move everything. Yeah, it, it sends yeah, the, the, so the, the signals for everything. It's it's obviously not in the DNA, but it's in the endocrinal system. So like all hormones are um, connected to it. And what it did with me, uh, one of the examples, uh, she has really, really bad overeating habit. Like when she's stressed, she eats a lot. And so for years, she's been trying hard to, to lose weight. I never, I can never gain weight. I, I like <laughs> only lose it constantly wow. because I don't eat. I don't eat when I, when I'm stressed, I can't eat. I just, I, I just, uh, it, it becomes impossible. So th this is how like all those hormones work. So, so the brain just reset it to another, like channel, another basically. setup. So it's just, yeah, it's as, as weird as it gets. Incredibly interesting. And, um, what side of the, the, obviously now you say the dark is in charge or is driving is in control. Um, does the light create music or is it only the dark? Oh, that's also interesting. Uh, so she is the furthest it can get from a creative person. More than that, she did have, uh, some friends, um, in the creative sphere and she always made fun of them, how lousy they are and stuff. And like, oof, I don't understand that. Like, uh, you people are weird. Um, she is so down to earth as could ever get. And, and I, I have a suspicion that we might be splitting in like different parts of uh, the brain. Like as in, I have one half, she has the other half because it's, it's dramatically different in that sense. I, I am very bad with uh, uh, all things like uh, numbers, finance and everything. She's an investment banker. Wow. <laughs> like literally she actually worked on Wall Street. Wow. However weird that sounds like, again, I, I sometimes I, so I feel myself that I sound like crazy, but I have proof for all that. <laughs> and, uh, and, and yeah, people, when, when, when I started, so when I took over, I still had to kind of go on with her life, uh -huh. um, for a while. And, but, but it was pretty obvious for everyone that a, I cannot cause I was failing at things where she excelled and B, I was actually very, very much into things that she never cared about. So she never listened to music. She never really cared about that. And I was in music like all day long, 24 seven, um, learning to produce. So I was in Ableton like all the time. And uh, the um, people who, who knew her, they were like, you're never gonna do this. It's like impossible. You were never even talented for this. What are you talking about? Because they knew her, she, she's not like creative. She's nothing like this. And then I took over and suddenly everyone around just like listens to my music and they're like, wow, where, where have you been all these years? How, how, how is that even possible? Cause I, I just, I just made, uh, like this path, um, that people make in 10 years mm -hmm. within two. I, I, I started Ableton like in 2020 and here wow. I am already producing all my tracks and it's amazing. It's, it's very, very highly interesting. I could dig 
I have lots of questions, but we're, we're going to have to, <laughs> we're going to move to, to someone else. But I, I'm very, no, I'm very interested. I think it's, it's very, very, never, never spoken to anyone that had DID before. So, so obviously lots of questions bouncing around my mind. 12 gauge uh, to tell me about your, your neurodiverse path, please. So I um, learned I was dyslexic in college. So that's um, in terms of like the American school system, that's like high school. I think I would have been like 16, 17. Okay. Yeah. I think around that age. But um, I'd always struggled at school. Like the two massive things that affected me growing up was um, I had an abusive step parent when I was very young who kind of at an age when I shouldn't have been learning how cruel adults could actually be. And, you know, that not every adult is a trustworthy, nice person. I learned adults weren't trustworthy, nice people. Um, so that was like the main one. And then after that, subsequently I was bullied throughout high school. Um, like, in friend groups in you know like the whole sort of oh yeah it's all jokes but all the jokes are at you type friend group and it drastically hit my confidence to the point where i had like a really bad stutter i didn't really think much of myself i didn't want to talk to people the only things i really wanted to do was like sit on my own listen to rap and write lyrics that was pretty much it um, and then I went to college. I, I moved to Preston in with FMA, my dad. And then I went to college. And the thing, I don't know if it's the same in America, but in England, if you're struggling at school, they put you in like the lower sets. So mm -hmm. you get put with like either the kids who have bad home lives and they don't pay attention and are labeled bad kids, or you get put with, you know, people with probably undiagnosed learning difficulties and you all get put in the same group. And because those teachers are contending with kids who don't want to listen to them, the teachers don't really care. And mm -hmm. the students don't really care. And it becomes this sort of like cyclical thing of you just kind of being reinforced that you're stupid all the time. And that goes for like every facet. When I look back at like high school, and it took me moving in with my dad and, you know, starting FMA and 12 gauge and all of that stuff to gain confidence. And then I went to college and we had to do this like standardized learning difficulty test thing. And um, pretty much I was like, I just thought, oh, yeah, I, I have a free period now because I can get this done in five minutes. And then I can go on break and I have like two hours break. Isn't that awesome? And I can go and chill out with Brandon Dreadnought and he can go and make beats and it's going to be awesome. And then it, within like five minutes, I've done the test. They came back around and they were like, yeah, could you take it again? Oh, wow. So then, yeah. So then I was like, okay, um, I'm going to do the Okay. So I, so I did it again. And then they were like, okay, those are, that's like, those are dyslexic numbers that you're getting. So it explained a lot, really. It, um, for me, it was like, mainly I was just annoyed. I was, I was a bit like, I could have had extra time on my tests. <laughs> I could have had, you know, all this other stuff. And, you know, they never 
tested me in like my other high school and all this other stuff. But I think it like the older I got and the more I looked at it, it was like more of an issue with the schooling system than the school that rather than, you know, oh, these kids might genuinely have something that, you know, maybe they struggle with on a genuine neurological level. They're just kind of like, oh, you know, you, you're not top set and you can't do algebra that good. Get in this class. So it's it kind of turned into that. And if I'm honest, it explained a lot of why I loved rhyming words because there was one, like, facet to, you know, writing lyrics, which was getting everything in my head out of my head. But one thing I remember, it was, like, this guy in, like, my class who wanted to be a rapper too or his, like, friend wanted to be one, and he said that what I should do, this also wasn't a good thing for a kid who had to do his work, but <laughs> what I should do in lessons is I should write a word and then rhyme it as many times as I could. Uh, and I'd do that almost like religiously every lesson. Probably didn't help me actually learn what <laughs> I was meant to be learning, but here I am on a podcast talking about rap, so it's cool. But yeah, it, um, yeah, and my brain just like clicked with it. It, it's really weird. It just feels natural to me to like break up a word into syllables and find the syllables that match the other syllables. And even if it isn't complete rhyming, there's like half rhymes and then there's, you know, alliteration and then there's stuff that sounds similar. So it tricks your brain into thinking you're rhyming. And it all became just this thing of like, yeah, this is what I was meant to do. And I think I really needed that at a period of time where I'd been through all of the, you know, crappy stuff I'd been through that my brain actually found one thing that it was like, yeah, you're meant to do this instead of, you know, just because I was going down a very similar path to FMA, as he said before, with like, you know, alcohol issues and everything of getting to that point of being like, I just want to shut myself away from the world and not remember that I'm me. And I suffer from like addiction issues too and obsessiveness and all that stuff. So it, it was really good that at that point in time I found rap and writing lyrics. So that is like my plus and my negative to dyslexia, really, I think. That's super interesting that that life and then the world sort of like pushed you into a corner and rhyming got you out. Yeah, that was pretty much exactly what it did. Everyone kind of said, you know, oh, you can't be a rapper. You're a ginger kid from the north of England and you got that accent. How are you going to do anything? And that just gave me, I think, the chip on my shoulder that I kind of needed to be like, no, I'm, I'm just going to keep doing it. I think it's even regardless. better. I think it's even better. It's like a lot of these, this is a weird connection that I'm making right now. And it's some of the world's most sought after beautiful models are not normal looking are not the standard looking human there's something different about them so so the fact that you are a ginger an accent from the north north of england i it, i think it's a cool thing for rap i think that there there are not anyone else like that there's not no so i think it's cool so so keep keep doing it <laughs> fma um, you're wearing woke up autistic again yes uh, you've mentioned it before being on the spectrum talk, talk to me about when you realized that you were on the spectrum and and Everything about that, please. Uh, well, uh, I did, didn't for a very, very long time. I'm 43 years old now, and I was diagnosed at 36. So 
Um, it all started... I was a kid, I was just an imaginative kid, but then alcohol came into my life, and without realising that I was numbing sensory issues, I just got carried away with drinking. I had Callum when I was 19, and then by the age of 21, I was in rehab, and I was in rehab for one and a half years. This is like wow. real rehab. Okay. This isn't the stuff that celebrities go into. This is pure get better or you're going to die rehab. And it was like intense, like unbelievably intense. If you think of Big Brother, the TV show, and think of that for like one and a half years, because like you're like living with these people and it's... When someone drinks, you vote as a community on whether they should stay or go, and it's like... Because it, it's all about helping each other and oh, like yeah. the lessons that you're learning. You'd learn every single day and, oh, my God, it was crazy, was that thing. But what they'd managed to do was reprogram my brain. Like, I'm a sponge when it comes to information, and they managed to reprogram my brain so that I can't get drunk anymore, um, which is sounds really weird. So I came out of rehab thinking everything was going to be fine, um, and I relapsed like nearly everyone does who's trying to recover from alcohol. But when I relapsed, up here didn't get drunk, just my body. And it was a horrible feeling was that. So, like, that had gone, but, like, then painkillers had come into my life or something else, and, like, I'd be like, oh, that helps. And it would be like everything's numbed again. And addictions just kept occurring and occurring. And at 24, I joined, like, a, a metal band uh, called For My Anger, and it was, like, a six-man metal band, and we played all over England. And we played with Bring Me The Horizon and loads of big bands who are really big now. Uh, we were with them, like, right at the start. Um, but people would talk to me, like, at the gigs. But then I'd go home and I'd try and talk to people and people wouldn't talk to me. So I led a very, very lonely existence. And, like, you find a lot of society works from alcohol. And as soon as you take away alcohol, uh, people it's a lot harder to talk to people because a lot of people use alcohol as a way of communicating with people. Um, so I didn't have that. Uh, so I, like, ruined my social skills by drinking when I was a teenager. I was autistic on top of this, which I didn't realise. And I ended up just shutting myself away. I'd play gigs, but then I'd just stay at home because people made me uncomfortable or I made people uncomfortable and all sorts of things. And I never really understood why. Uh And uh, so the addictions just carried on and the loneliness just carried on. And it got to a point where I was like, this is like what I am. I'm just like a a mess. This is what I was born to be. Um, And I was studying at university at the time and I was studying creative writing and uh, script writing. And I'd given up on music completely. Um, And it was around that time that I got an intelligence test, a proper one, like a two hour one. Um, they're well cool. They're really good fun or intelligence tests. Um, but the results came back saying that there's, there's hints of autism there. And then at the age of 36, as I was finishing uni, um, I got my diagnosis and it's like, from that point on, everything like started to make sense. And it's like, you know, at the end of fight club, you get to the end of fight club and you're like, whoa, that was well cool. All the hints were there all the way through. Yes. And like, yes. And uh, re-watch, you, the- you rewatch Fight Club and then it makes yeah. sense differently. Yeah. And that's what my life was like. Because like, none of it made sense all the way up to that point. But then as soon as I hit that point, it was like dominoes falling backwards. Amazing. And I could look back and be like, oh, that's what was going on there. Mm. I was the one who was wrong in those situations. I was talking to people in the wrong way because I'd seen other people talk like that. And I didn't understand how social communication work so I was just copying things from people without understanding the nuances of it and it's like but through my entire life the one uh the one thing that had always been there the one thing that gave me a feeling better than any drug or any alcohol was creativity and when I made something that I was proud of and it's like all the slot it was like a jigsaw where everything just suddenly slots into place and that feeling of creating something from nothing was there and it's like at that moment I realized that that's what kept keeps me well and that's what I should be doing going forward 
uh, I've learned that subconsciously you put all your thoughts and all your emotions and whatever into whatever you're creating, even if you're not meaning to. And so, yeah, I learned from that point on that, like, creativity is the most healthy thing that I can be doing. And all my addictions and all my obsessions are still there, but I know oh. where they're coming from now. So it's like with knowledge comes, like, power and it, yeah, everything's different now. Even though everything's exactly the same, I'm still the same person. Nothing has changed. Everything is different because I look at it differently. If that makes sense, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And the the addictions never go away. You just replace the vices. You find new vices, and thankfully, creativity is something. And being in a project with your son is amazing. Just, just what a lifesaver. Just, just so damn cool yeah he's the reason because he's also the reason that i decided to go into rehab i would never have gone into rehab if it weren't for callum i didn't do it for callum once i was in rehab but i went to rehab because of callum mm. sometimes life hey? sometimes we, with these strange things that we do these strange paths that we lead they're all leading us somewhere and every decision is a is, is a twist and turn that's taking us somewhere and sometimes we go through some shitty parts of our lives it makes you stronger we gotta go through them you got to go through them. It's, it's, I think it's so important for people to know that it's, it's easy to give up. It's, 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 it's harder to keep going and to make, go through those tough, tough moments. Now, now neurodivergent crew has started. It's, it's a group of you. You're all together. Now, now what's the idea behind this? Bringing a bunch of neurodiverse people together to, to form a group. But what, what, how did this start? Whose idea was it? Uh, we'll start with that. Started when Callum came to live with me, because I'd given up on music, like I said, uh, in 2013, and Callum was just obsessed with writing raps and things, and he kept showing me every single day. And I knew, like, there was, like, talent there and stuff, and I just knew he was going to drag me back into it. And then one day for hit like, uh, we, we were offered, like, an anti-racism gig or something, like, say no to racism sort of gig. And it was purely to just do some songs to help Callum's confidence because he used to have a really bad stutter. Mm -hmm. um, and so we did the gig, but it went far better than we could have imagined. And Sorry, can I cut in here? So just for Callum, for, for 12 Gauge, uh, I've heard, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, that people that stutter, if they sing, the stutter's not there. Is that the same truth for rapping? Um, yeah, it, I never really considered it, but it kind of went. Like, after that gig, like, when FMA and 12 Gauge proper formed, and it was kind of, like, the the way I look at it is that everyone kind of flips in life. That's kind of how I see it. So, you know, you could be, like, the, you know, most popular person in high school. You could, like, be, like, great, and then high school ends, and then it just, boom. And you usually it's amazing. get... amazing. I love when that happens. <laughs> Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> uh, but you usually get it in that other way, where it's like, you know, the really unconfident people who just sat there every lunch break and played guitar, they, when high school ends, they find other musicians and they start a band. And I saw all of, like, this, like, weird, you know, how everything worked and everything leading up to FMA and 12 Gauge, all the coincidences. But I just saw it as my flip that one day I was Callum the stuttering kid who wouldn't talk to people to being 12-gauge the person who stands in front of a room and pe of people and tells them to move and they move. That's amazing. And that's the, like, complete flip which I see in my life. And 
I I genuinely look back at that kid who was stuttering, and I just know that I don't know. It's it's so weird. I, I see them as something that's like they don't really exist anymore. And not in that horrible way of like, you know, oh, yeah, I don't remember anything. They were horrible. It's just that all of that anxiety that I used to feel, I don't feel anymore. Like people are just people. And I think I learned that through standing in front of a crowd. So definitely my stutter went after that first gig. I don't know if it was because I was rapping or because FMA made me practice the verses like... (laughs) 25 times and you know made me memorize every part of the song but it it, it definitely yeah it, it flipped and i don't stutter anymore it's fucking amazing the power of music and confidence people it's amazing fma keep going uh about the neurodivergent crew formation please yeah yeah yeah. and we got like people moving and stuff and it's like it was a it was an energy that i'd never ever felt before like i said i'd been in bands and done loads of gigs and like big gigs and all sorts of things but the energy between me and callum was something different it got everyone interested it got everyone moving because a father and a son and yeah mm-hmm. the music that we were doing was really energetic because it yeah um yeah, I'll leave that bit for now. Um, so anyway, and we kept we kept doing stuff. I kept going, oh yeah, let's do one more song. Let's just do one more gig. Let's record an EP. So we recorded an EP, and then I'm like, yeah, let's do another EP. And then we did another one. And then it came to like writing an album. We wanted to release an album, but we had no one to make music for us. And so like we were really struggling. And that's where Dreadnought came in. Like he, mm-hmm. him and Callum were friends. They were in a band and all sorts of things. And then uh, Dreadnought came in as our producer. And um, we made an album and we got on TV. We've been, like, all over the place and things. And then uh, it came, COVID destroyed everything and destroyed all momentum for everything. And then it was like we spent another year writing a super special album uh, that we're currently working on. And then we started work on it last year. And it was at that point that we also found Nortrix and uh, Nortrix was doing her own thing, but she came on board as like uh, our mixer and master, masterer. Um, but we found, none of this was planned. We found through creating these songs, when we all got together, we all had the same energy, like performing live. When Nortrix got up on stage, she was all about the energy of her songs. And then Dreadnought does his songs, and it's all about energy and stuff. And then you got me and Callum doing our stuff. And we're basically, it's metal without the metal, because we keep the vocal style that we had in For My Anger, my old band, and me and Callum do it now, so it's really fast switching and screaming and shouting, but there's no guitars. It's all, like, heavy bass or violins and crazy sounds and stuff. And, yeah, and it's just, like, yeah, everything just happened naturally, the same way as if you're, like, creating something cool and every bit just falls into place as you're walking along. Um, And that's kind of how the Neurodivergent crew came along. I just mentioned one day, why don't we like joined together and and because we've all got all these neurodiversities and no, stuff the the uh the story was that uh well one day i don't know i don't remember which day it was but i was there in the uk with a guy uh we all got together and it somehow um dawned on us that not only do we uh are we doing the same thing but we also share the same values which was clear from the start uh, because all of us think, like literally, we believe that we, as artists, we also have responsibility 
uh, for the people that follow us, that that like our music, that um, want to, you know, be part of the tribe. Uh, but then we also realize that all of us are out there talking about our neurodiversities because this is at least how my project also started. I, I realized that uh, from the very start, I want to share my story as it is because uh, one of the things, exactly the same case with, with each one of us, if we had been... Uh, diagnosed a little bit earlier, we might have known things and understood things better, and it might have helped us. Uh, like, there are a lot of things that each of us remember and think, oh, I would have done it differently if I, knew, if I had known. So uh, this is what we were already doing. We were spreading awareness with each of our projects, and then we realized, realized that we're working together. We're all uh, neurodivergent, and why don't we just uh, make this uh, collective, an official entity that would be going out there and would be spreading awareness and making sure that people know and making sure that that other neurodivergent people are um, taken care of so that they can speak through us absolutely and I, I, that's the reason why we're having this chat it's why i said yes i think it's amazing i think that neurodiverse people need to see successful neurodiverse people yeah that's one of the things like that's become really obvious like from being up on stage wearing hoodies like this and just the people who come up to me afterwards or making an autism joke on stage and then people coming up to me afterwards going, oh, I'm autistic too, and are you really autistic? And it's just like, it's such a, it's a, uh, I can't think of a word, it's like, but it gives people, they feel accepted. There's someone cool up there. I just enjoyed watching that person. He's Absolutely. just like me. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? And it's, yeah. the more you see of that, the more accepted these people are. Because like, especially with neurodiversity, they really, really struggle. And in society today, it's not so easy to be like us and just go, yeah, I'm autistic, yeah, I've got ADHD, yeah, I've got dyslexia or DID. A lot of people hide it because there's so much judgment in society today. So it's kind of our job to just stand there and go, I have autism, look what I can do, this is what I do. It's cool to have autism, it's cool to have ADHD, it's cool to have dyslexia, it's cool to have DID. Just the same way it's cool to just be normal or just be average or neuro like typical. Everything is cool, it's just we're just humans all living on the same planet and this stupid uh, segregation and pointing differences out is the dumbest fucking thing that humans can do but it's what humans do isn't it it's what humans do but i i completely agree it's so f stupid 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 and it's it's i i'm proud of you guys i, I think it's amazing Hey, what's up, Vox and Hopsheads? I just want to take a little moment about Cryptopsy's upcoming tours. That's right, I'm talking about the Scream of Perseverance tour and our headliner dates that coincide with that tour called As Summer Burns. The Scream of Perseverance tour is kicking off at the end of May and runs all the way until the end of June. We are supporting the mighty death to all. We are going all over the United States and we are hitting some of Canada. So excited to be honoring the legendary music of death alongside amazing musicians that performed on these albums. Even more stoked to be doing some headliner dates in some cities that I've actually never played in. If you are planning to come to any of these shows, 
You should definitely grab your tickets by going to voxandhops.com slash summer, and you will be able to grab all of your tickets there. That's voxandhops.com slash summer. Do it, people. Come hang out with me. Enjoy life, metal, and craft beer in your hometown. Come to a show. We're going to have a great time. Now, enough about all of that. Let's get back to the episode. My next question is obviously, what is next? What, 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 what's next? Like, if, are more people going to join? Are you open to having more um, neurodiverse people being a part of the neurodivergent crew? Is that something that interests you? What, what is gr- this growing into? Is this going to be a label? What, what, what is this? Is it, I, I feel like I'm at the beginning of something very cool, and, and I see potential for it. So, so what, what is the next steps for the neurodivergent crew? Yeah, we we do uh, believe that one day, uh, once we've uh, collected enough leverage and once we've, uh, uh, you know, amassed all the audience we can get to make sure to uh, be able to work with, um, we would really want to create a label where we could help other artists that are struggling. Because uh, to me, for instance, we are very lucky here. Because, uh, as uh, FMA likes to point out, we are all missing pieces of the puzzle coming together. Uh, because uh, the more we work together, the more we notice that each of us has different skills that the other lacks. And uh, we work a lot together. Um, but there are people out there, uh, like, let's say, when I, when, I, when I learned the story of FMA plus 12 gauge, I could see that there are some things that are so, so like easy for me, but they are difficult for them. So I'm compensating for them. But then there might be some autistic artists out there who have everything, who have the talent, who have the absolutely amazing um, stories, absolutely amazing art that they make. Uh, but they cannot go ahead with that because they don't, they don't, they like, they literally cannot communicate. Um, and so we could potentially help them. And that's one of the things that like is on the horizon for us. Uh, we, we would really be interested to, to do that. Uh, but for now, yeah, it's, it's up to us to work hard to get to the very top, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, that's where we're going with our albums in the works and uh, with the gigs that are uh, coming. So, Also, uh, you know, like in Transformers, the uh, Constructicons that form to merge, to form Devastator. Um, if we can't, like, form to, like, giant robot sort of, like, construction, then I'm going to be very disappointed in the neurodivergent crew. I think it's cool. I think it's cool that you're all collaborating together. I... I... It's it's very interesting. Um, spicy question: If someone that was neurotypical, a huge artist, imagine artist X, but he wants or they want to promote neurodivergency, wanted to be a part of their neurodivergent crew, would you let them be a part of it? We don't do segregation. It all depends on. It genuinely depends on values. I see. That's that's what it all comes down to because there's a lot of greediness and selfishness and cruelty that exists not just in the music industry just everywhere and it all yeah it's like it all comes down to like what you believe in it's like we create because we have to create it's what we were made to do and it keeps us all well and that's like one of the the glue that keeps us all together and if someone 
who doesn't have a diagnosis of anything, then yeah, we wouldn't segregate against them, but it would genuinely come down to values and what they believe in and ethic, work ethic and everything. I can also say that um, a while ago, the guys gave me uh, a hoodie that had Autism Army written on it to wear. And I was like, no, guys, I cannot wear this. I'm, I'm not autistic. I, it's like, it's misleading. It's not right. Uh, but later, I actually realized that I can because I am, I am Autism Army. I'm helping autistic people. I'm with them. I, exactly. I actually understand them really well. And so I am part of the Autism Army. So why can't a neurotypical person be part of the neurodivergent crew and neurodivergent army? Yeah, if they that's want right. to help and if they want to, to drive this locomotive forward, that's uh, definitely something that can be done. Yeah, like all the parents of autistic kids, they're still oh, yeah. part of the autism thing. So it's like, yeah, uh, your neurotypicalness or whatever doesn't make an effect to anything. I love that. I think it's important. I think that uh, everyone should be a part of the neurodivergent tribe. I think it's it's very important. I'm a part of the tribe. I, I support you guys and I support people working together and uh, everyone being on the same plane and and helping you know and helping people that need that little lift up if they're missing that skill set let's say one last question and i'm mean, basically giving you a showcase of what's coming up for yourself um what what do you what, what's what's coming up for for you guys what's coming up you mentioned shows you, there's albums in the works what give you give you a a one one two minute promo for yourself right now to wrap this up dreadnought it's been a while we've heard your voice um what what what, what do you got going on uh, okay so i have um basically a series of songs that are coming out not necessarily like an ep or an album but they're all based around different video game characters uh, I have four four of them done now. Uh, the first one, which is already out, which is the single that's out at the moment, Ghost of Sparta, based around Kratos, God of War, and the themes around rage and the emotions that come with that. Uh, other characters, which I'm not going to reveal just yet, but they're on the horizon. Uh, on top of that, I'm basically redoing four tracks from earlier works that I was doing, but it was when my production wasn't quite there. I'm bringing that all up to scratch now, getting that out. So I'm hoping by the end of the year to maybe have about eight, nine tracks, something like that, a good collection of music because currently it's a bit barren. So that's my goals. And hopefully some tracks with Neurodivergent Crew as well. I have a pretty gnarly beat that's uh, sat there at the moment, just waiting. And I'm pretty sure everyone's quite eager to get in touch with that. So we'll see what's going on with that in the future. And that's uh, that's pretty much where I'm at you, at the moment. You're trying to I'm kill producing. me, Dreadnought. You're trying to kill me. Yeah. You, I don't uh, have enough projects on. You're bringing that one up no, as well. That's, okay, that's, right. That's kind of the point, really. Like, <laughs> death by music. How we go. Uh, I'm in a band. With the, my producer is my guitarist, Christian Donaldson. Um, and he is never satisfied with anything when it's older than a week old. So, so, so just get used to that. <laughs> it's always, it, it's, it can always be better. He's never, he's rarely satisfied. So yeah. It's, that's something I've learned with to deal with and just be like, right, there's a point where it's good enough and you have to put it out. Otherwise you're just going to sit on it for a lifetime and never release anything. It, it becomes like an era of your production life and that's okay. Yeah, yeah true, true, true. <laughs> uh, no tricks. So what, what's coming up? In the, on the horizon for you. Oh, well, um, I, I just dropped an EP uh, in December called Voices, which was summing up uh, my uh, journey up to now. 
Uh, and I am actually uh, making another one. Uh, it all takes time because I am the producer and the singer and the rapper and the cover art designer and like everything in there uh, all on my own. But um, I, I, I have a lot of material from the past uh, years uh, to um, work with. So I'm hoping uh, to release another EP this year. Uh, this one will be hopefully uh, even more uh, publicized because already got in touch with a, a few uh, bigger PR companies. So hopefully this year will be the breakthrough year. Uh, what we also managed to um, to do with uh, uh, our latest track that we dropped together uh, called Daddy, where where all of us feature, and uh, we were basically. Uh, all uh, writing our verses there about how uh, hard it is for us uh, as musicians uh, to be neurodivergent um, and how misunderstood we are from time to time. But it was uh, it was a breakthrough track from us uh, for us because uh, I, I've never reached uh, that um, much streams uh, that many streams in such a short time. Uh, but that one was also accepted onto all the major um genre playlists and like one one of them which has one million subscribers uh is uh it's called um scroll amv channel on youtube so that that's um that's coming uh in the beginning of march for us and um they they, they put a animated music video anime music video um on it um and hopefully that will also uh be a good push for us but um uh, other than that, well, I'm hoping to resolve my uh, uh, life situation where I'm a bit stuck um, um, with uh, my visas and, uh, and everything. I used to uh, travel to the UK uh, pretty freely uh, before, but now I'm um, uh, they denied my visa, so uh, I can't perform now. Uh, so I'm, I'm now purely in the online space, but hopefully once we resolve that, we can all organize uh, a tour uh, for us, uh, for our three acts. So I'm really looking forward to that too. That would be super sick. And hopefully that gets resolved very soon, along with everything else that I don't want to bring up right now that's going on over there. Uh, FMA plus 12 gauge. Well, what do you guys got coming up? Okay. Um, yeah, well, we're working, we're releasing our second album, but we're releasing it in bits because we've created something ridiculously huge. Um, it has a narrative to it. And the first part, the first chapter will be out, uh, in a couple of months. And then the second chapter should be out hopefully a few months after that. Um, and then I'm not saying any more, but it's it uh we've it's very inspired by war of the worlds but um i can't you could, when you see it in just little bits you don't really understand what's going on you need to start seeing the sections joined together to understand what's actually happening but it's it's about a father and a son taking their final journey together is what the album's about um and it it it, it encompasses all sorts of music from drum and bass to like cyberpunk to hip hop to heavy stuff to trance to just absolutely everything. We love all sorts of music. Um, so yeah, so we're working on that and we've currently got some gigs lined up, but no dates yet. We've got a, 
unfortunately, the place where we live in Preston, uh, in the UK, it, uh, COVID has destroyed the music scene. The music mm. scene here 10, it's take 20 time years to rebuild, ago. Yeah. yeah, 20 years ago used to be amazing. And now there's really only two proper venues left here. And one of them is on the edge of like closing down. So there's a, there's a crazy, uh, everyone in Preston is trying to save this last, one of the last places that we've got. So it's not so easy getting gigs around here at the moment. But hopefully there's a battle of the bands thing going on. So we'll be going to war. The war drums are sounding um, soon to, yeah, hopefully. And hopefully something good things will come from that. And of course there's festivals, like we haven't heard back from any of them yet. So I don't know whether that's a good sign or a bad sign or what. Um, yeah, fingers crossed we get on <laughs> no, some no shit. No news is good news is how I look at yeah. things like that. Okay, cool. But yeah. You can interrupt me. Cut me off now, Cal. I'm going to count one, two, three, four, five. Well, Dad, I can't believe that you'd say that. Why would um, you cut me off? <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, you've you've pretty much just summed up everything that we we really had. To, had to, there was no need to cut you off. So yeah, you've got um, university. Oh yeah. Um, for me personally, me. Um, I'm currently doing a master's degree in screenwriting. So I'm hoping to get that finished. Well, it's going to be finished in August, um, and that will be my final deadline, and then I will have completed university 100%. Yeah, and then after that, I think I want to focus more on music for a bit, if I'm honest, writing screen like screenplays and stories for the past four years. Well, this is coming up on the fourth year, just straight, kind of only breaks, you know, like holiday breaks that they give you at uni and just going term after term after term has kind of destroyed me a little with writing. It's like, it's, it's the weirdest feeling. It's it's only something that, like, I can really, like, say, Dad, but when you're writing a script and you're writing it knowing you're going to tear it apart, like, two days later, it's such a weird feeling. Because you're like midway through the scene and you're like, yeah, this this dialogue is rubbish. I'm going to like rip this out, but something needs to be here so I can get to the good bit. So then I know the connective bit. And oh, it's it's I do love it, but I've, I've started to describe it like um, like in with writing in general and like lyrics and music where I'm married to it at this point. When I was like a teenager and I was listening to like Mob Deep and like all of like the rap I could find and writing every lyric I had in my head, like writing everything down, it was like, you know, just first getting into a relationship and you both love each other so much that you want to see each other all the time. <laughs> and now I've got to the point where it's an 10 old, years old later. married couple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just there like, oh God. I'm you need a week good. away with your boys, but... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's, that's, that's exactly what I'm going to call a dreadnought. And I'm going to be like, yeah, let's just write a rap. <laughs> I love it. I think it's so. Well, congrats to, to all of you for everything that you've accomplished so far. I, I once again see this as the beginning of something amazing. Uh, I will to say thank you to all of you now. We're going to wrap this up. Uh, Dreadnought, No Tricks, FMA plus 12 gauge. Thank you so, so much. Uh, Neurodivergent crew people, check them out. Uh, I think it's special. I think it's unique. And uh, I like it very much. Uh, massive, massive cheers to all of you for hanging out with me, talking about life. Music. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. Cheers. 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 <laughs>
Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. Man, this was a special conversation. Uh, I feel like we just scratched the tip of the iceberg. I did not go deep enough. The topic of what the neurodivergent crew are creating is something important. It is a platform for neurodivergent people to come together to showcase that it is okay to be not neurotypical. It is okay to have your challenges. It is okay to rise above those challenges and to team up with other people to rise over everyone's challenges to create something truly unique. I'm extremely excited to see where the Neurodivergent crew goes. I am beyond stoked that I had the chance to connect with Dreadnought, No Tricks, and FMA Plus 12 Gauge. Uh, I am honored that they took the time to open up to me to tell me their story. I am very excited to see where they end up in the next few years because I see really big things coming up for the Neurodivergent crew. Massive cheers. Check them out if you haven't already because I think it's super interesting. Now, if you enjoyed this Vox and Hops episode, you should sign up to the Vox and Hops Middle Podcast mailing list. You could do that on my website, voxandhops.com. That's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. When you do that, you shall receive one email a week that contains all of the details of everything that has happened recently in the world of the Vox and Hops Middle Podcast. You will see which episodes I dropped recently. You will get to see which episodes I have coming up. You will also get to hear about any projects I have in the works before I announce them to the public, such as my massive global beer collab project, Pit Culture. You will get to find out which collabs are dropping next and you also get to see which albums the vox and hops album review crew have reviewed recently and you will get to see which albums jerry monk vox and hops's metal architect has added to the brutal awakenings playlist there's always a lot of stuff going on in the world of the vox and hops metal podcast and i hate when you miss a single thing so please do me a favor and sign up to the mailing list the vox and hops metal podcast is brought to you by sound talent media and evergreen podcasts i hope you have a killer weekend i will be back next week with one episode with bruce lamont of yakuza but until then remember to enjoy life metal and craft beer cheers vox and hops heads what's up everybody i am finn mckenty host of the punk rock nba podcast part of the sound talent media podcast network my podcast is all about doing what you love for a living and every week i sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that for example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there.